Before we begin, a quick warning. This episode contains descriptions of violence as well as sexual assault and abuse. Listener discretion is advised. Spoke Media. Hello, ghost family. Welcome to Family Ghosts. Of all the Love Family stories we heard in our conversations with former members, there's one in particular that I can't stop thinking about. We heard it from JL, the midwife who delivered so many babies and literally saved lives. She told us that the family's prohibition on talking about the past also extended to record-keeping. Love Israel told JL and the other midwives not to record the births of children. But JL did it anyway. I had a three-ring binder. Oh my God, I loved my three-ring binder and my pencil. She made a note of every single child whose birth she was present for in flowing script on loose-leaf paper. She recorded the date and virtue names of the parents, the child's name, where in the family's sprawling collection of estates the birth took place, and which midwife delivered the baby. This is my writing. We visited JL last summer, and she showed us the binder. April, I put them all in there. Guidance Brotherhood right. Calm relief. The binder we were looking through is actually the second version of the birth record. The first one is gone. It got destroyed when Love found out that I was keeping records. They were in the basement of Logic's house, and the binder was torn from JL's grasp and hurled across the room. Thrown in the fire in the fireplace. But still, JL was undaunted. As soon as love left, JL and a friend grabbed the burning binder from the fire and methodically recreated the record. I remember being in, in Logic's basement and, and writing as fast as we could to, to put it all together again. JL told us she started keeping the record because she thought the children born in the family might need a birth certificate someday in case they wanted to get a passport or something. So every once in a while, JL would cobble together bus fare and go down to the King County Courthouse with the binder so that the births could be entered in the official county records, which is a very practical reason to keep a birth record. But there's something deeper encoded in JL's covert operations, a fundamental rejection of love's philosophy that everyone in the family existed in a divine, eternal present. On some level, it seems, JL knew all along that the children of the love family might eventually decide that now wasn't the only time. There were, however, some documents that love wasn't opposed to. During that same visit, JL showed us something else she saved. It's a document the family called Common Sense, a kind of statement of governing principles. It's written in that same hand-rendered Gothic calligraphy as the family charter, and it begins as follows, quote, For all people everywhere who recognize the absolute authority of love in their lives, whose God is love, and whose conscience knows no higher obedience than to the law of love, let it be known that the government of love is established in the mind of man. The government of love is established in the mind of man. Well, that's true. Yeah. Consider the source, unfortunately. <laughs> it's a little hard to hear that last bit. That's another former family member saying, 
consider the source, unfortunately. Meaning that a person literally named love is the one commanding his family to pledge their spiritual and legal obedience to love upon joining the love family. These were all double meanings that Love Israel was happy to exploit. The common sense proclamation wasn't necessarily legally binding. But logic told us other elements of the family structure were. We ended up going down to the Secretary of State and getting a copy of the Catholic Church's charter. And we copied it verbatim. And the only every time, every time it said Catholic Church, we put in Church at Armageddon. There was no other changes, not a period, not a dotted I. It was identical. The Church of Armageddon was the Love family's name for itself in official documents. And Logic and a couple of other elders got the church legally designated as a corporation's soul. What it means is one person has the power of many instead of many have the power of one. So the Pope actually owns everything in the Catholic Church. So when we filed and got approved finally, that's what gave Love Israel his actual legal power he'd never had before. And that's why he owned everything, because we created a replica of the Catholic Church. So Love Israel formally declared himself the owner of all of his family's property and the governor of their minds. But by the early 80s, with love in the depths of an out-of-control cocaine habit and lavish lifestyle, while the rest of the family was literally starving and couldn't afford shoes for their children, at least a few family members were starting to question love's true intentions. And in the midst of all of this, Logic received word that Love wanted to fly one of his airplanes over a pasture on the ranch and that he expected everyone in the family to gather and wave in reverence as he passed by overhead. Logic looked around at all the work that hundreds of people were doing to support the family, and he had an epiphany. It was a community that had really transcended Love Israel himself. So my first decision was to see who would support a coup, basically. I didn't think I was doing a coup. I didn't know it was going to be a coup, but that's really what it was in, in retrospect. And so, as often happens when logic confronts love, everything fell apart. From Spoke Media and WALT, you're listening to Family Ghosts. I'm Sam Dingman, and this is Episode 9, The Love Family, Part 2. Vision and Completion. Our story begins after the break. Spoke Media. Vision Israel had joined the Love family in the early 70s, called to Queen Anne Hill by the power of Love's vision. She'd dropped everything when she heard about the Love family and hitchhiked across the country to join. You felt like you had to go and you... You didn't know why. It was almost like being a bison migrating. I mean, you just had to go. But one day in the early 80s, Vision woke up in Toppenish, Washington, about an hour southeast of Seattle, where she was working at a cannery the family owned. And something had changed. It was kind of like the same feeling that made me feel like I needed, I had to go there. That same thing was like, I've got to go. So once again, Vision dropped what she was doing and walked out the door. 
She went across the street to a truck stop called Nola's, where she got a job as a waitress, and she started saving money in secret. Before long, she was ready to hit the road again. So I hitchhiked with a trucker to San Francisco. No, I wasn't harmed, but he stole everything. <laughs> Dang. So that's how I left. Like Vision, Logic realized something had to change. Looking back, he says, the manipulation was obvious. Everything was rather reinforcing and internalized. So whether you had a beautiful feeling watching the dawn one morning or whether you had a drug experience, everything was always interpreted in, isn't God beautiful? Isn't the Love Family great? Um, Aren't we fortunate to be here? We're blessed. And even if he did suspect that something was amiss, Logic felt like he couldn't say anything. What ends up happening is if you have doubt that's squashed and that's frowned upon and that's, you know, uh, really disencouraged. And if you have confidence and you have faith and you have belief, that's really endorsed and enriched and applauded. In the Love family, if I thought Love Israel told a lie, I couldn't say it. I couldn't doubt him. I wasn't allowed to. That was forced down. Like, really, what's wrong with you? Are you doubting? But after Love sent that request for everyone to gather in the fields and wave at his airplane, Logic had his epiphany that the family had transcended its father. So I went around to the other elders and said, here's what I'm thinking, here's what I see, what do you see? And it was so blasphemous to even speak negatively about Love Israel. But Logic was relieved to discover that he wasn't alone. He got the majority of the elders to sign on to a letter, which they hand-delivered to Love, asking him to step down as head of the family. It reads, in part, quote, You have transgressed the power of God, using fear and oppression rather than love as the power behind your word. And by fostering lies and deception within and without the family, you have been acting as someone led by desire for power and wealth rather than love and charity. It's important to note here that this was an attempt by Logic and his fellow signatories to preserve what remained of what they assumed were love's original intentions, to acknowledge the sins of the past in the name of a better future for the family. We decided we would give him kind of an honorable place, leader emeritus, and we weren't going to strip him of any of his stuff, but we were going to strip him of all power. And we were going to try to form a more traditional government of a council of elder men and women. But love didn't get the message. He didn't believe in the past or in the future, only the present as defined by love. We presented him the letter and he tore it up and then essentially threatened me, banished me, figured out right away I was the instigator and tried to quickly get everybody on his side against me. And it was very ugly, week or two. Well, we're trying to see, you know, will there be enough support for our efforts to remove him from office, or will he survive and make me out the bad actor in the whole story? And for a while, he did. He succeeded at getting almost everybody to pledge their loyalties to him. Um, Even sent a couple of guys over to threaten me. During that two-week period between the delivery of the letter and the ensuing power struggle, Logic wasn't sure what to do next. 
But as the drama was unfolding, word reached the commune that the FBI had caught on to Love's drug business, including the fact that the family was growing and selling marijuana. Love left in the middle of the night, that night that he heard this story. And he left on one of his buses and he left with his main entourage and his three wives and his kids. And he left his uh, group of loyalists behind and told them to not tell me, but to tell me that he was leaving to consider our offer and was leaving me in charge. But that wasn't Love's actual plan. One of his little loyalists came to me literally in tears and said, I don't know what to do. I'm one of the ones Love laid his plan out. He's going to California. He's going into hiding. He believes the FBI is coming to raid the family. And he's put you in charge because he wants you to take the fall. And that's how he's going to resolve this revolt. The FBI story turned out to be a hoax, a ruse cooked up by the parents of a family member in hopes it would convince their son to leave the commune. But for logic, Love's betrayal was the last straw. So that's the day I left. I came into the Love family with a VW van, and I decided it would be fair and equitable if I left with a VW van. And that's all I took. I didn't take anything. Um, In the next six months to a year, 90% of the family left. The exodus had begun, and most of the defectors left with far less. As Praise Israel told a local news station shortly after his departure, You've committed yourself totally. You've told all your friends. You've given all your money, all your possessions to them. If you leave, you're lucky to get your sleeping bag, you know. You're just out the door with absolutely nothing. Just a disappointment that the dream that we had of doing this thing together was so twisted around to where it was no longer a family and it became a cult. The vast majority of the Love family made their way back to the world Love had tried to convince them no longer existed and began the process of reconstructing their lives from scratch. By that point, even starting over with nothing was preferable to spending another day in love's higher reality. As for love himself... He felt so threatened by the energy that was coming at him. With his vision evaporating and his family seeing him for who he really was, Sirius told us love stayed in California. He had a a friend in the banking industry down there that helped him get situated down there. And he became a banker for a couple of years. <laughs> so the moment his charade was exposed, after he'd spent years telling his family that the real world no longer existed, Love fled the world he'd invented and took arguably the most real-world job imaginable, a banker. And he left Sirius and two other elders behind to clean up his mess. And yet Sirius, who hadn't joined Logic's coup, stayed loyal. Some of us felt really protective of love, even though though we could acknowledge that a lot of this stuff needed to be addressed. We also didn't feel like it was good to all of a sudden open this Pandora's box of all the things that people saw wrong with love. After holding him in such high esteem for so long, all of a sudden they're just going to trash him. But Sirius couldn't keep the lid on Pandora's box. A group of former family members banded together and convinced Richness Israel to separate Love from his greatest temptation, Richness's money. Richness filed a lawsuit 
demanding the return of all the assets he'd given to the family. If the suit was successful, the Love family would suddenly find themselves with almost nothing. And at the same time, some of the women in the family came forward with affidavits alleging sexual assault and coercion by Love, including at least one woman who was just a teenager at the time it happened. She said that she was on a road trip with Love somewhere in the Midwest, and he told her he wanted to have sex with her. When she refused, she said he threatened to leave her alone by the side of the road. And so like many of the women who reluctantly agreed to sleep with Love as a temporary reprieve from the starvation and poverty of the family's ranch, she decided it was safer to relent, even though she didn't want to. Worse yet, years later, when Love was asked about these allegations, he dismissed them, claiming that it was impossible for him to sexually assault anyone because everyone in the family was technically married to him. In perhaps the most sinister interpretation of the family's official documents, Love seemed to believe that since he was the governor of his family's minds, it was for him to decide what they consented to. But back in 1983, as Richness moved forward with his lawsuit, Love wasn't around to respond to these allegations, or to do anything at all for that matter. He'd run away to California, and his loyalists protected him. They reached a settlement that relinquished most of the family's property, but kept the affidavits sealed. Which meant that instead of allowing the criminal charges to be filed and formally prosecuting Love for his alleged abuses, the elders instead chose to perpetuate Love's doctrine of misogyny, silencing the women in the name of keeping the family alive. The family lost most of its holdings in the settlement, but they got to keep the ranch. Sirius and a few dozen other diehards moved there and tried to reestablish the commune. Eventually, once the smoke cleared, Love slunk back from California, having avoided any responsibility for the wreckage he'd caused, and resumed his position as head of the much smaller family that still bore his name. In their own retellings of this time, family members refer to 1983 as the year of the divorce. For years, living on the ranch with the few who still believed in Love's vision, Sirius continued to publicly defend Love Israel. These days, Love doesn't like to talk on TV. His top man, Sirius Israel, defends the family that many call a cult, and Love the cult leader. Even the early Christian church was labeled a cult. Any new group that has any kind of cohesion uh, could be labeled a cult and could be feared because there's power in unity. The truth is that it's, it's love's singular kind of authority that launched this family. Uh, we wouldn't have gotten started without him, and we owe him that credit. And uh, he still represents the, the father and central authority figure in the family. Love didn't want to talk about the family to anyone outside the family. But he'd lost the power to keep former members from talking about the past. And gradually, after many years, that's exactly what they started to do. I am angry. For some reason, I have not felt it safe to fully feel or express my anger. But I'm over that now, and I'm pissed off. After the break, the past comes out. There was some fucking shitty stuff that went on in the Love Ranch, and the fallout has been tremendous and painful. It has affected generations. We'll be right back.
Spoke Media. Page 27 of the Love Family Charter says, quote, We know it isn't always fun to be corrected, but it helps us and teaches us to do what is right. People who get their feelings hurt don't believe in Christ. When the vast majority of the family left Love Israel behind, they were once again separating themselves from life as they knew it, just as they had when they joined. But for some of them, this time, that wasn't enough, and they wanted to make some corrections of their own. They wanted a reckoning with the past. Another recurring theme in our conversations with family members was how much everything changed when children started being born in the commune. And beyond the logistical complications they introduced in terms of education and healthcare, they also brought a different perspective from their parents. They hadn't been called to Queen Anne Hill by mystical visions. They didn't choose the Love family. Their parents chose it for them. And the things many of the Love family's children experienced didn't make sense. They weren't part of a spiritual philosophy they'd bought into. Rachel Israel became part of the family when her mom joined. Rachel was a teenager at the time, and she recalls an early incident when she was wandering through Sirius's house and happened to open the door to the sanctuary. She was hoping to use the piano, but instead found a circle of family members in the midst of meditation. Everyone looked up when Rachel opened the door. And I was like, like a deer caught in the headlights, just like, uh-oh. <laughs> the elder that was leading the meditation scolded Rachel. And he said, we bow. You need to bow when you come in. When you walk into a room, you see the Jesus Christ in there, and you bow in the face of Jesus Christ. It didn't make sense to her. Nor did it make sense to her when she saw children beaten with rods when they misbehaved. It didn't make sense to Completion Israel either, who remembers being hit by adults when she was a little girl and they felt she'd stepped out of line, or having her hand held in a flame to teach her not to play with fire. That section in the family charter referred to these draconian punishments as being corrected. But in the case of disciplining children, and in some cases adults, that was a deceptive way of putting things. When we visited Vision Israel, she told us a story from back when she was living on the family's ranch in Alaska. I was pregnant and, and, and Confidence had been asked to come down and regroup with Love for a while, so they sent this other guy in authority up. And I was really hungry. We didn't, get, we didn't have much to eat. And there was a guy that came along and he gave me some certs, friggin' certs. And I ate the certs because they really tasted good. So then I was put in front of this council. Get this, this, sound, this is so sick. But I was actually put sort of in court. You need to come clean. You ate those certs and you feel guilty. And I go, no, I don't. And you have no, you know, you have no control and blah, 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 blah. And I actually was whipped with a spruce rod until I was bleeding. And he was screaming at me to come clean and admit I was guilty. And I was screaming back, no. To this day, Vision has no idea why she was supposed to feel guilty for eating certs, which, for anyone who's not familiar, are very small breath mints. So not only was it absurd and barbaric for Vision to be punished, she'd only eaten the certs in the first place because there was so little food that she was craving anything resembling nourishment, even a very small breath mint. These were more than hurt feelings. These were, in some cases, crimes. 
But for years and years, decades in fact, most of the family kept to the code and didn't talk about the past. But in spite of his best efforts and the reinforcements of his loyal elders, Love couldn't keep the ghosts out forever. Not long ago, a group of former family members created a private online forum that they called The Laundromat, and they started opening up to each other, talking candidly about the family's drug problems, the extreme poverty they were forced to live in, and Love's betrayals of their ideals. One day, Completion Israel decided she was tired of holding on to all the hurt. She signed into The Laundromat and wrote the words she'd wanted to say for years. She read us an excerpt from her post. I am angry. For some reason, I have not felt it safe to fully feel or express my anger, but I'm over that now and I'm pissed off. There were some fucking shitty stuff that went on in the Love Ranch. Children were beaten. Children were sexually abused and sexually assaulted. Women were treated like shit. Women were treated as baby makers, domestic slaves, and worse. This shit happened. Sure, there was some good stuff, but I'm not talking about that now. And the fallout has been tremendous and painful. It has affected generations. It has affected my children. I'm still hurt, and I don't want to hear any crap about forgiveness or moving on. I want to hear accountability. I want to hear genuine apologies. Fuck deflection, blame, or denial. If you have something to say to me other than accountability, you take that lecture finger and go have a good look at yourself in the mirror with it. Elder men, I'm talking to you. Elder women, why the fuck did you put up with this shit? This is my broken heart, seeing my sister held down and molested. Seeing my siblings beaten, fearing for my own little life when a rage-filled adult came for me. Completion's horrific story of abuse was one of several we heard in our conversations with former family members. As one of them told us, Love's policy of erasing the previous lives of members who joined the family meant that it was an appealing place for people with histories of abuse to hide from their past. And Love's belief that everyone in the family was eternal, and therefore ageless, made things even worse. Decisions about who slept with who, which, as a reminder, were often made by Love, were based on perceived physical and emotional maturity. But for completion, and many other survivors, Love doesn't get to decide what happens anymore. The hippies tried to make a new world, but they skipped a critical step, grieving and fully acknowledging the pain of the past. This pain must be thoroughly looked at before something new can be born. After the break, something new is born. We'll be right back. Spoke Media. Eventually, even Sirius gave up on love. I just kept thinking he would eventually evolve. I saw his inability to perceive his own weakness. And um, I just always had a hope that, that he, would, he would grow out of it. I just uh, finally had to admit it wasn't going to happen. Are you 
Hi, my name is Sam Dingman. I'm working on the interview and was just calling to try to arrange uh, a convenient time. Love Israel died in 2016. And these days, there aren't many family members left on the ranch. Love's virtue name is conspicuously absent from the family's answering machine, as well as the wooden archway above the road that leads into the commune, from which a sign hangs that simply reads, Israel, the perversion of the phrase, Israel, that Love invented back in the 60s, before he invented the Love family. We visited the ranch on a bright, sunny afternoon last July. There were neatly manicured rows of grapes growing in a lush green field, and a teenage boy in white robes sat under a tree playing the guitar. Just a handful of people live there now, but they still gather for worship in a large, airy sanctuary. The walls are lined with colorful paintings, inspired by the collected visions of family members. In one of them, love leads a procession of men in robes through the desert, bathed in rainbow light that pours down from a turquoise sky. A harp sits in a corner next to a box of songbooks. These days, it's well out of tune. I had actually had a dream in the Love family, a spiritual dream, uh, about uh, opening a book called The Book of Life on this bookshelf, and, it had, and there was my story was in it. Like JL, Rachel Israel kept a record of life in the family as she experienced it. She told us about it in her kitchen one afternoon. And so I began to write in my journal about the Love family. Uh, and so I would, you know, just write about different customs or things that happened. And I kept that journal. For our visit with Rachel, we were joined by Richness's daughter, Posey, who we'll hear much more from in our next episode. Rachel was putting the finishing touches on a book about her time in the family. And she and Posey talked about the ways that being a child of the Love family has shaped their lives. Part of it, too, was that in the Love family, they didn't keep any history. They didn't keep track of history. Every Now is the time. And so you're living in this kind of, this, this space where there isn't, they're not keeping track of ages. There's no birthdays to kind of separate time periods. And um, I, I think it was kind of a reaction to growing up like that, that I, I felt like it was important to tell stories. That, and love was like, well, we don't talk about the past. We, don't, we only stay in the present all the time. And I felt like we were, I was missing something if I didn't, you know, because the past was important and I could see that, that it had everything to do with the present. Mm-hmm. It's so striking that you say, like, that Love said, you know, we don't talk about the past. Because, I mean, what are we doing right now? <laughs> Except for talking about the past. And I think, you know, I feel a need to do that. I think we all feel a need to do that. There's something in there about that. Like, we don't talk about the past that seems also related to this sort of refusal to acknowledge um, negative things that happen and their impact on us. Yeah, that's right. Completion Israel told us that her post in the family laundromat was mostly met with compassion and love. The real kind. A lot of the responses from the elders from my parents' age people, uh, it just made me cry because they, they were taking accountability and they were saying sorry. Especially the elder women, there was just so much love and I can't tell you how many of them said, I love you. 
also there were grown children my age who were saying thank you. Thank you for saying those things. Thank you for expressing it the way you did. And I think that the whole experience um, was very healing. And so the next step of the healing was then allowing their kindness to meet my anger and hurt, which isn't always easy to do. Completion also said that in the case of her and her siblings, while the statute of limitations has passed for being able to prosecute the abusers, they were able to contact them through the forum and to let them know they haven't forgotten what happened. And when I did that, the person denied it. But that's okay, because what I had done is I took all the um, shame and guilt that I had been holding onto. And when I contacted him and, and said, I remember this, I gave it back. I gave it all back. And that, that was incredible. I think the reason the story of JL and the Binder stuck with me so much is because it was such a clear illustration that a family can't erase its history, no matter how hard its elders may try. Love Israel tried to create a family without ghosts. And the ghosts got to him anyway. They always do. But maybe an ideal family is one where ghosts and love can coexist. The stories of the family are finally being told, one by one. After I wrote that post has been the two years of, of uh, kind of utter undoing of my life. But, um, and part of that was just sitting with a tremendous amount of rage that I was both really, really afraid of, but also I'd opened up to it so I couldn't turn it off. And there's nothing Love Israel can do to answer. And so with, you know, a couple weeks of of feeling this rage come up, I realized that the rage was love. Now is the time to talk about the past. I had boxed my ideas of love into nice, neat little boxes, like love is only kind and generous and compassionate and sweet. And this rage was showing me, no, I'm love also. Next time on Family Ghosts, another child of the Love family wrestles with its legacy. I exist because the Love family existed. Like, there is no other way about it. If the Love family wasn't here, I wouldn't be here. After wondering about it for years, Posey Gruner investigates the relationship between the loss of her mother and her parents' time in the family. It just kind of makes sense, right? Like, oh, okay, so there's this one big weird thing that happened, and then it's got to be connected to this other big weird thing that happened. That's coming up next week, when Season 2 of Family Ghosts continues. Family Ghosts is hosted and produced by me, Sam Dingman, with Odelia Rubin, Jennifer Lai, Jacob Smith, Lindsay Cradwell, Jenna Hannum, and Janielle Kastner. Our story editor is Michaela Bly. This episode was mixed by Evan Arnett and featured original music by Jesse Brenneman. Our theme music is by Luis Guerra. Fact-checking by Greta Rainbow. 
Executive producers for season two are myself, along with Keith Reynolds and Aliyah Tavakolian at Spoke Media. Special thanks to Posey Gruner. Thanks also to Hannah Palin at the University of Washington Special Collections Film Archive, Penny Gruner, Sarah Viers, Oza Faye Viers, and Debbie Becker. Our story about the Love family is by no means the definitive account. If you want to read, watch, and learn more about the family, please visit our website, where you can find links to It Takes a Cult, the documentary by Eric Johansson, also known as On Israel. Thank you, Eric, for allowing us to use clips from your film in our story. You can also check out Counterculture Crossover, Rachel Israel's memoir about her life in the Love family. For all of that and much, much more, please visit familyghostspodcast.com, where you can also sign up for our email list, The Ghost Post. If you'd like to follow our show on Twitter and Instagram, you can find us at FamGoShow. That's F-A-M-G-H-O, show. Thank you for listening to Family Ghosts, where every house is haunted. You're listening to WALT. Homemade Radio.